my nightmare. Every town has an Elm Street. Let's get home. Come to Freddy. We need you, Jesse. We got special work to do here, you and me. You've got the body. I've got the brain. This is God. Told ya, comic books was bad for ya. Hey, Danny, better not dream and drive. Nice hearing from ya, Carlos Stark. I don't believe this fairy tale. What's wrong, Joe? Getting tongue-tied. <laughs> Of children, give me strength. You are all my children now. Welcome back to the Steward Universe podcast. My name is Jeff, and I'm Leanne. And this is the first of our series of episodes where we're doing a retrospective on the Nightmare on Elm Street series. And of course, we got to start off with the one that started it all, the movie that created New Line Cinema from 1984, A Nightmare on Elm Street. The kids of Elm Street don't know it yet, but something is coming to get them. There's something out there, isn't there? We just see cuts happen. What did that, Lieutenant? I don't know. There's a coroner got to say. He's in the jaw and puking since he saw it. You're gonna kill me for sure. Did you do it? There was somebody else there. He was locked in a room with a girl who went in alive and came out in a rubber bag. No one knows where it came from or who it will visit next. Nancy, there's something wrong with you. You're imagining things. Nightmare on Elm Street. Do you believe in the boogeyman? No. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. She's the only one who can stop it. If she fails... I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. No one will survive. Craven, director of The Hills Have Eyes and Last House on the Left. A new masterpiece in fantasy terror. Nightmare on Elm Street. So before we dig into the movie and anything, Leanne, I wanted to ask you, is there a particular reason you like this movie? Is there something that sticks out for you? Is Well, yeah. The first thing is nostalgia because it was my first horror film and mm. I grew up with it, essentially. And I also love, because of, like, the dream aspect of it. The dream aspect has always been fascinating to me. That was one of the things I really liked when I first saw this one. Was there anything else that stood out to you? Like, do you remember, like, the box art or, like, the poster standing out when you were little, like, seeing that? Yeah, I remember the uh, the claws, like, or the, the blades being over What's-Her-Face. Right. And her having, like, that terrified look. Yeah, that's what I remember. Okay, yeah, that's that's what I remember saying, too. Uh, my own experience was Freddy terrified the shit out of me as a kid. Funny enough, I this was not the first Nightmare on Elm Street movie I saw. Because growing up, one of the local stations would play 3, 4, and 5, like, 
all the time. Mostly four and five. Three was like a rarity to play, which I think is why I have such an affinity for Dream Warriors. But that's another show. But I remember seeing those standees in the video stores of the poster. Just iconic imagery that just gets burned into your brain. Now, speaking of that, have speaking of the movie, I should say, have you seen it recently? Have you rewatched it anytime no. recently? Is it one of those that you just know offhand, like you can recall scenes from the movie? Or no, <laughs> I couldn't even tell you which ones were. I can't tell you which one five was or which one three was. I think two was with the like gay controversy. Yes, Freddy's Revenge. The second one, yeah. That's basically three is the one where it's in the asylum, right? Yes, three is in the Dream same. Warrior, yes. whatever. Dream no, Warriors. I remember not liking that movie. Yeah, you're not you're not a fan. No. So there's the original. Yeah. Part two, Freddy's Revenge. Yeah. Three is Dream Warriors. No. Four is the Dream Master. Five no. is the Dream Child. Part six is Freddy's Dead. Seven essentially is New Nightmare. And then Freddy versus Jason. Yeah, I think it was like the fifth one fifth or sixth that i remember watching yeah this one i didn't come to later until i actually bought one of the first um dvd box sets and it was the original through freddy's dead actually no scratch that it did have new nightmare it was one of the first box sets i ever owned why i got rid of it i don't I, I kick myself every day for getting rid of it because the box, it was this like black and bronze image of Freddy. It was really cool. But that's when I saw the first film was when I owned that box set, which was many years later after I had already seen three, four and five. Interesting. Yeah. So I had this knowledge of Freddy, who he was. I knew there was a Nancy in the film. I knew some things, but I didn't know all of it. So, the 1984 Nightmare on Elm Street film is basically the story of Nancy and her friends, Tina, Rod, and Glenn, all experiencing these nightmares of this guy in this dirty hat, this old red and green sweater, and razors on his right hand. He starts killing them one by one. Nancy ultimately is your survivor girl. She faces him head on. The whole time she's dealing with an alcoholic mother, her father, who was the lieutenant at the, the local police station, who's her family life is pretty messed up because her parents are divorced. They are no longer together. She lives with her alcoholic mom. Her boyfriend, Glenn, is I don't think he wants to admit he's had the nightmares. You have Rod, who is the juvenile delinquent of the bunch. You have Tina, who's Nancy's best friend. All this goes on as Freddy is offing her friends one by one. She ultimately has to confront him, face him, overcome the evil, or so we think, by the end of the film. And it left the door open for all of the sequels that we have now. That is just the basics. <laughs> Leanne, are there any, any scenes that you remember, or is there anything in particular that you liked about that original film? Well, the scene that sticks out the most is when she was trying to walk up the oatmeal stairs. Right. That one, when I first saw it, I went, oh. Even as a child, I was like, oh, that that isn't good. <laughs> it's, okay, it's not good, 
But you also have to remember, early 80s, very low budget. This was like a make or break kind of deal for these guys. Lots of tension on set, not much money. They were trying to put this thing together so they could release it and see what would happen. So I'm willing to forgive little things like that. Like I was I was looking earlier today, compiling some information for this. And they were talking about mistakes in the film. The stairs were one of them. They're like, you can clearly see. I'm like, yeah, but it was 84. They didn't exactly have the technology to clean it up in post or anything like that. It was basically like, we got one shot. Let's do it and go. But they were like, you can clearly see a crash pad in this. You can clearly see crew members here. I'm like, it's low budget. It's low budget. It's going to happen. I think a lot of it is people looking at it with more modern eyes than back then. Because I've seen some of the videos of people coming out of the theater back then, like news reports on this movie. And people were freaking out. They were scared. They were so happy that this film was there. But there is one scene that I like that I never figured out how it was done. It was a scene in the jail cell with Rod with the the bed sheet from the jail cell going around his neck and hanging him in the cell. Yeah, that's a good one. I never knew how it was done. It's a reverse shot. He was a great person to play that character. He was. Unfortunately, a lot of his performance was based on poor decisions he made. No, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, bringing drugs to the set. He was a bad boy. Glad to know he cleaned his act up, though, Jesu Garcia. At the time, he had to go by Nick Corey because Latinos were not getting any work in the film industry. So that's pretty fucked up. But speaking of, of cast, should we go over who some of the actors are in this film? Because there's some pretty iconic actors in here now. Yeah. Of course, we have the late John Saxon as Lieutenant Donald Thompson. Nancy's father. Ronnie Blakely as Marge Thompson, Nancy's mother. Heather Langenkamp as Nancy Thompson. Amanda Wiss as Tina Gray. As we said, J.C. Garcia playing Rod Lane. Of course, Johnny Depp as Glenn Lance. Charles Fleischer, the voice of Roger Rabbit himself as the doctor at the sleep clinic mm-hmm. Nancy's taken to. Lynn Shea as the teacher, and of course... The man himself, the one who brought to life the icon of our nightmares, Robert Englund as Fred Krueger, as he is billed in this first film. I always forget that he is credited as Fred Krueger in this first one. Just just a really solid cast. Like, nobody turns in a shitty performance in this movie. No, it's really good. Like, the acting is solid. The effects... While you can clearly see now in like 2023, they're very, they can be dated. They're still solid. There's no, you can, like, you can see where the appliances on the chest of Tina. We're all watching it now in HD, high definition, 1080p screens, monitors, whatever. But you can clearly see that if you saw this on the big screen, in 1984, when this was released, it would have been so terrifying to watch that. It would have been so cool to see that. Yeah, plus there was a decent amount of blood. Yeah, there was supposed to be more. Really? They probably yeah. had to cut it down. So, let's get, let's get into some of the, the behind-the-scenes stuff. So, 
I'll get to what I was talking about with more blood. The scene where Tina's killed in the beginning, that was all done in a rotating room. Hmm. They got the idea from a Fred Astaire movie where he was dancing all around the room in this film, like dancing up the walls, dancing on the ceiling. So to get that, they built this room on a gimbal so like two people would just be able to spin it and it would rotate. So they had her moving all around, doing everything. And at one point, and this is all fresh in my mind because I watched part of the Never Sleep Again documentary earlier so I could have this fresh. The actress playing Tina got so disoriented she was feeling like she was going to throw up. She was dizzy, just sick. So Wes Craven came through the set. He came through the window of the house. So he's like coming through the wall, standing there going, look, I'm standing here. You're laying right next to me. It's fine. He goes, so I was trying to calm her down, but I was starting to feel very nauseated and disoriented. So I had to make it quick. Now they reuse the room for the senior talk. So the senior talking about with all the blood, the Johnny Depp kill. So they had the room built. Wes Craven is mounted in a chair for his camera so he can watch everything. They pull Johnny Depp through the bed. They spin the room. And as they're spinning it, the red liquid, the blood, comes pouring out of the bed. So this is the fountain effect we see in the film. All that blood hit the electrical lights and all that equipment, electrified the water. The guy pouring the water on the other end got electrocuted. People were trying to get out of the way so they wouldn't get electrocuted. So not one person was like, where's the blood going to go after we pour it? They didn't think about that. Yeah. Because then what happened was all this water and this blood was inside this room and it was shifting the weight, making the room sway back and forth. People were getting knocked over. Cables were getting ripped out. There, Wes Craven said there were sparks going everywhere. He's in this chair upside down waiting for them to figure out how to reorient the room and make it safe for them to do so without somebody getting fatally electrocuted. So it was a bunch of errors that led to an iconic scene. But the Tina kill was cut down. That's that's where I was. I, I misspoke. That wasn't all the blood. There was going to be more. When she would come down from the ceiling after you see the sla- slashes in her chest and hit the bed, she was going to hit. There was going to be a big splash of blood. They had to cut it. So what you see is her hit. They immediately cut to Rod. You see a little bit of blood on his face. And then she just rolls off the bed. You can see all this puddle of blood on the bed. They had to cut the impact of her hitting and the splash. Like, you can't have blood splashing. That's that's not cool. Mm, okay. You can show Razor's cutting a chest. You can show his face getting ripped off. But splashing blood is where you draw the line. Eh. All right. Well, interesting. Interesting. Do you know any other behind-the-scenes facts of this movie? No. No? Would you like another one? Of course. (laughs) So, you notice how Robert Englund always kind of stands with one shoulder sort of down? The hand that's wearing the glove is he's always kind of cocked in a weird position. Sure. The glove is heavy. So he noticed it was throwing his his posture off. So he just went with it? He just went with it. He thought, oh, this is like an Old West gunslinger. Like, that's that's my gun at the ready. It would weigh me down. So I, I was like, I was like, okay, that's a thespian right there. Just like, I'm going to use this to my advantage. It makes sense. It does. Uh, the makeup for Freddy was actually 
conceived while somebody was eating a pizza. He started playing around with the pepperoni and pulling the cheese up over and figured out that's how he wanted to do the makeup for Freddy's face. That's pretty, that's pretty genius, actually. The mind of a makeup artist is is a brilliant thing. Yeah. They can take a pizza and go, hmm, I can use this to figure out what, what I want to use to make the makeup effects. Then apparently, when the after shooting, because they weren't sure what was going to happen, Robert Englund is pulling these appliances off his face and just tossing them behind him, and there's special effects members running behind with bags, picking up all the pieces, and then going, okay, who got what? Trying to figure out who got what so they could go take it back and get it all ready for the next day. It sounds like it was crazy. Yeah. And then, do you know how they did the scene where Freddy leans down through the wall? I don't know how they did anything. <laughs> it was a sheet of spandex. Mm. So they did that, and one of the there was uh, one of the effects guys just leaned into it, and then would lean back, and they would create that that effect. Which this is the only time we're touching on the remake of this movie in this series because it is not going to be included. The remake did a really shitty CG version of that. And every time I see that, I get mad. Just because it looks so terrible. And I get people be like, well, it was 2010. There were still really good computer effects in 2010. They could have cleaned it up or just went practical. Anyway, there's my thoughts on that. Is the character of Freddy someone that you really like? Or is it just, is it like an iconic slasher to you? Uh, no, I really like him. You do? Yeah. He's an asshole, but he's funny. (laughs) He is an asshole. And he's very hard to kill. Extremely hard to kill. More hard to kill than Steven Seagal. That's an action movie reference for anyone who's watched shitty action movies like myself. There's just, there's, there's so much about this movie. But I would say Freddy... I don't think there's anyone that doesn't know who Freddy is by this point in 2023. I've even dressed up as uh, the hall monitor for Halloween. You did. I was watching part of the movie earlier and that scene came up. I was like, where's your past? I was like, hey! <laughs> Leanne, what is her for Halloween one year? Yep. Which was, it was a perfect costume. You pulled it off. Thank you. I think you even had the glove too, didn't you? Of course. Yeah, I didn't even remember if you... I, what even happened to the glove? I don't remember. Shit. We may have lost the glove. Yeah. Like, probably so. got it at Party City, bro. <laughs> like, it was, what, $5? <laughs> uh, at least it wasn't, like, uh, one of those, like, $100 replicas. No. But it disappeared. Like, so many of the actual props went missing from the sets of all of these films. Yeah, like several times they'd be like, oh, where's the glove? What do you mean, where's the glove? Crazy, crazy, crazy. This is the film that saved New Line Cinema from bankruptcy. Interesting. Which is why New Line is touted as the house that Freddy built. Okay. That movie was so successful, it pulled them out of financial rears. Which is why... New Line for years was like, yeah, we're totally down to make more of these movies. We appreciate what these movies did. Unlike the other side is Paramount, who was producing the Friday the 13th franchise. 
absolutely hated the fact that these horror movies were making money and they continued to make them. I don't get it. I don't get that side of the coin. It's like these movies are generating income for your production company, for your studio, Paramount. And you're like, we fucking hate the fact that it's bringing in money and we have to keep doing it. Dude, they did not cost you that much to make and you were making double, triple, quadruple your budget back. Whereas New Line was like, yeah, we're happy to keep making these movies because we know that we wouldn't be here without them. I'm like, that's 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 a company going, hey, we appreciate where we came from. Stupid mail alerts coming up as I'm trying to look at something here because I saved a bunch of stuff. So at the time, so you know the famous nursery rhyme, right? One, two, Freddy's coming for you. That was conceived by Heather Langenkamp's boyfriend at the time. He came up with the nursery rhyme and then they set it to the tune and figured out and who knew? Who would have known? He was a musician and just came up with it. All of the boiler room footage from the beginning of the film with Tina running through and then Nancy, that was all shot at the Lincoln Heights Jail in Los Angeles. Nice. Very nice. And still, even now, I was watching, like I said, I was watching part of the opening of the film earlier and it's it's so claustrophobic when you're in there. Everything is so tightly, just so tight together that even still, even now, I'm like, uh, I would not want to be stuck in there with somebody coming after me because I would just feel like I'd have nowhere to go. Especially since everything's hot. Yeah. Another level of discomfort. You have the claustrophobic element, everything being so close. The fact that it's so hot. So another effects thing. Or the opening scenes. Freddy has his arms outstretched walking down the alley. Do you know how it was achieved? Okay, again, no, I don't. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> Please enlighten See, me. This is why I'm glad that I have you here because <laughs> I know a lot of this stuff and I've known it for years. And I know there's probably people out there going, yeah, I know how it's done. But with you not knowing, you're not the same kind of consumer of film like I am where you learn all the behind the scenes. Essentially, they just had like springs with the hands on the end. Two guys on rooftops up above out of camera shot with fishing rods and lines connected so they could just marionette the arms as he was walking along. (laughs) That's funny. Like, you know what? If it's simple and it works. There you go. And they pulled it off. I think one of the uh, one of the guys working on the movie thought this is going to look stupid and ridiculous. It's just not going to work. And he ended up eating his words because it actually worked. And people, they said when they filmed it or screened it, people at that scene were like, oh, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and it's really kind of unsettling. It's one of the first times you see him. It's just these outstretched arms. You're like, what the hell's going on? What is this guy? Mm-hmm. So you've heard the story of how Wes came up with the story for the film, right? You're shaking your head again. No, you haven't. Fuck me in my life, right? (laughs) I don't know anything. (laughs) So there was a story. Asian kid can't sleep. Having nightmares, afraid he's going to die. Doctor, father, doctor prescribed him sleeping pills. Parents were giving them to him. He was stashing them under his, under his mattress. 
kept the coffee pot in his closet. One night, the parents heard him thrashing around, screaming. By the time they get in there, he's dead. They have no explanation as to why he died in his sleep, but he was terrified to go to sleep because he knew something was going to kill him. Here comes Wes Craven going, I can use that for a horror film, which is why she has the coffee pot in her closet, constantly trying to stay awake. Same thing, inspired by a true life event, which I just found fascinating when I found that out so many years later by watching the documentary. I thought, that's interesting to note that there was a real life inspiration. That's crazy. Of course, this was the film debut of Johnny Depp, and he has not stopped working ever since. <laughs> I did hear he got uh, the job because he was dreamy. Wes Craven's daughters loved him. He brought home pictures of several actors. It was like, okay, who was it? And they all pointed to Johnny. They're like, him. He was like, this kid? So he goes, I remember he came in. He was smoking cigarettes. His fingers were yellow. He looked sickly and pale. He goes, I looked at my daughter. I go, but him? He's like, he doesn't look great. They're like, he's beautiful. He goes, and then I went, okay, well, we're casting him. There you go. <laughs> so Johnny Depp's baby face good looks got in the role. God damn. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. He was a good-looking guy. I mean, good-looking guy out of... Probably the prettiest of the entire cast. I think it's fair to say that all the pretty people in the world can go fuck themselves. So, yeah. Yeah. Always took about three hours to get Robert Englund into his Freddy makeup. Not mm, surprising. That makes sense. And I think it was... I believe it was in part two where they streamlined that. But we'll talk about that when we get to part two. I'm looking through here. I don't really have a whole lot. The sparking glove effect. They attached <laughs> the glove to a car battery to get the sparks. That's that's some low rent. What can we do to get sparks? Ah, hook it up to a battery. Let's hope no one gets electrocuted. Yeah. They already had one person feel the wrath of electricity. They didn't need any more. The scraping noise. They were scratching a steak knife on the underside of a metal chair. <laughs> that makes... Okay, you know when you... Um, uh, I'm getting that chills down my spine. Like, can you imagine somebody scraping their nails down a chalkboard? I mean, it's uh, touching cardboard, but yes. Oh, I just got that chill down my spine thinking about it because I hate... Oh, uh, anytime that would happen in school when we had chalkboards, I would, that would happen. I was just like... Uh, you just see several of us in class just kind of shudder. No, no, stop. The words Elm Street, not spoken throughout the film ever. Did it need to? No, just one of those interesting things. It just shows that it's on Elm Street though, right? Oh yes, it yeah. shows that it's on Elm Street. And it was purposefully called A Nightmare on Elm Street. There was a, I believe it was a college that Wes either was teaching at or attended. It was on Elm Street. Also, apparently, Elm Street was the street where Kennedy was assassinated. I didn't know that. I had no clue about that. Yeah. So just, just some interesting things that went into the making of this film. Some interesting little tidbits here and there. Bob Shea, who was the producer and the head of New Line, apparently he and Wes Craven had some conflicts on set. 
the ending of the film with the mother being pulled through the door. That was Bob Shea's idea. He wanted something that would scare the audience, but he wanted to be able to leave it. Then he wanted to leave it open-ended so they could have sequels, where Wes Craven was like, this doesn't need a sequel. You don't need more movies after this. Which, I kind of feel Wes was right, but I kind of feel Bob was right. It's like, you could have this one movie, and that could have been it, and no more Freddy. At the same time, it hits so big, it's like, how could you not give people more of what they want? So So the effects in this, do you think with Thinking about it now, with all the movies you've seen, how advanced special effects come? Do you think any of these still hold up today when you look at them? Except for that one. Yeah, I think all of them hold up. The stairs. The Bisquick stairs. Yeah. Oatmeal. Yeah. Oatmeal. I know, I know you're saying Bisquick, <laughs> but in my kid brain, it was oatmeal. Yeah. That's what a lot of people said, and one of the guys goes, Bisquick. He goes, you mix it up, let it sit for about an hour or two, it becomes this super thick thing. He goes, we just stuffed them in there, sh- put some shredded carpet on top, and we're good to go. I would not say good to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm assuming this was, okay, how many shots do we have? We got about 30. Okay, get the stairs loaded. <laughs> get the oatmeal stairs loaded. We're, we're going. We're going. Yeah, I think it I think it very much holds up. Even the the weird scene of which... It kind of comes out of nowhere towards the end when the mother's being pulled under the bed. It's just her skeleton in the nightgown just kind of lowering into this flashing neon bed. It's kind of awkward, but it still works because she's been fighting this dream demon man. So much shit is just crazy. It's all taking place in dreams. You don't know what's real, what's not. So it does work. It really does work. So much of this movie is is very cool, but I've I've heard some people complain, like, where would she get a book for booby traps? Why would she do that? Why would she take the time? I'm like, because she's trying to figure out how to defend herself. She has two parents who won't listen to her because one is so drunk out of her mind she can't even function in society. You'd be surprised what kind of books they have at the library. Yeah. I mean, it's... She's also the daughter of a cop, so it wouldn't make sense that she'd be like, what can I do to protect myself? Because they're not going to give me a gun to shoot this guy with. So I'm going to do what I can do and get a book from the library and look at booby traps. I'm perfectly fine with it. It makes sense because it shows how smart she is as a character. Nancy is not stupid. Well, that and she's also a teenager. You know what yeah. I mean? She's going to go to the lengths a teenager would. Yeah, a teenager would look up, how can I rig my house? Some people are like, oh, it's like... Just like Home Alone, except it's for Freddy. Yeah. You're trying to stop a killer, you're not worried about stopping the wet bandits. Yeah. Yeah, I I have no problem with her getting to the point of setting up booby traps to save her ass. So I think one of the other things I want to touch on is the music for this is very iconic. If you hear those first few notes, you know immediately what that is. I know that sounds terrible. I don't have it on my phone to be able to play it. I mean, I probably do. Yes, I know. I know. I understand. 
I think any horror fan is going to hear that and immediately know, oh, that's Nightmare on Elm Street. It reminds me of that one TikTok that we were watching where the two guys were uh, <laughs> doing that song. <laughs> oh no! I forget what it is now. Oh, I forgot, but I know exactly what you're talking about. We were terrible. We're terrible. This is what I was referring to. Like we'll go a little bit. Done by Charles Bernstein, of course. Yeah, this is exactly what you did. This is what I was referring to. That's all I want to play because I don't want to get somebody going, hey, wait a minute. But when you hear those first few notes and you hear that better done on what I played here on my phone than what I did vocally. You automatically know. And for me, I get these feelings of nostalgia, like thinking about when I first watched these films. And especially when I first saw this one and heard that music and saw the first appearance of Freddy Krueger, the first portrayal. It's really, really cool. Now, I want to ask you, so you said this was your first horror film. Did it scare you? Did you have nightmares? Was there anything intrinsically horrifying about it or did you just love it right off the bat? No, it turns out I was a really fucked up child that liked gore and horror. Like, um, no, I, I loved horror films. So this was, this was nothing for you. This was a walk in the park. This you were fun. having fun. It's fun for me. Okay. Now see, by the time I saw it, I had already seasoned myself. But early on, my exposure to Freddy, like I said, was the other sequels and the Freddy's Nightmare series. I used to be so terrified of Freddy. I had nightmares a lot of Freddy coming after me. One in particular that I remember. I was in the Super Mario Brothers video game. Now, you know the second world you go into that's underground and has the the little red uh, platforms that go up and down? I was trying to get through there. Freddy was chasing me. I couldn't jump to make it, so I fell. And as I turn and look back, he's coming after me, just laughing and rearing back with his claw because he was chasing me through the entire level. Mm -hmm. So I was seeing everything as if I was playing the game. And then when I went to jump, it went to like first person perspective. And it was, yeah. But I then, was more afraid of Chucky than I was of any other horror villain. I could see because that. Because I have a thing with dolls and I had a cabbage patch that looked kind of like him. So one time I remember it fell next to my bed and I thought, nope. I'm not getting that till morning. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't seen Child's Play, but my brother had a My Buddy doll. Yeah. And it didn't help the fact that my brother played Barber and cut chunks out of his hair. <laughs> so there was just these patches of the, the little holes in the head where the hair was still kind of coming through where he had cut it. And it would just sit like on this chair, kind of slumped over in a way with this demonic smile. My buddy was, was creepy. Not not as creepy as this little computer thing I had that when the batteries went out and it started malfunctioning, it sounded like it was possessed. 
That's that. You know, we'll talk about possessed toys when we do a poltergeist episode. <laughs> Getting back to this, yeah, Freddy really freaked me out as a kid. But you know what I did? I kept seeking it out. I kept wanting to be afraid. It was like an adrenaline rush. So, like when you see me sitting there scrolling through, you know, the old clown pictures that you send me, like links to Wikipedia, like here's what clowns look like in the 1700s. That you could stop looking at it at any yeah, time. Yeah, I willingly could stop looking at it, and yet I forced myself through ex- to do exposure therapy and then freak myself out. It's probably a reason why after that I was having so many nightmares. Yeah, Freddy, Freddy was one that really freaked me out as a kid. And it's funny because I never had nightmares of Jason. I never, I didn't have nightmares of Gremlins, even though they freaked me out as a kid. It was always Freddy. And I don't know if it was something about him being burned, knowing that he was just a child killer. At that point, I didn't know he was supposed to be more of a child pedophile slash murderer. Uh, Yeah, Freddy was always in my nightmares as a kid. And now he's one of like my favorite horror movie icons of all time. I think that's true of a lot of people. It's just so ingrained in pop culture. Is there any particular line of Freddy's from from all, all across that you particularly like? I'm doing more in-depth on this because when we get to the later sequels, we're going to be talking more about that movie and what things are. This is just like the the genesis of this whole Freddy explosion. So is there anything from any of the other movies that sticks out to you like line-wise? Like, Are there any favorite lines of his that you have? Oh, shit, no. <laughs> shit no shit it's okay it's okay no. there's there's a lot to think about there's a lot because in this first one alone there's this is god no sorry no 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 i think once it hit like uh I think once you get to part three is when you get a lot more of the Freddy spewing one-liners. Which is when a lot of people were like, oh, he just became funny. I'm like, that's what I kind of like. When it got to him spilling out one-liners, I kind of liked it. But there were times where he still would reel it back in and could still be scary. Robert Englund was was scary under that makeup at times. I, and we'll get to it, but there's there's one movie in particular where I think he got the scariest, but that's that's down the line. So I think this this movie is just not only is it an iconic horror movie, it's just an iconic movie in general. For I think the feats they pulled off effects wise and putting together this story and this film that birthed an entire franchise. That I think fans like you and I and so many others would like to see more of today. And I'll say this, it doesn't have to be Robert England. The man is, is older now. He doesn't need to do it. Who who would you want to see portray Freddy if they went back to the well? I don't know. <laughs> I have heard stories of people stating that someone like a Doug Jones wouldn't be a bad person to portray. I can see that, but at the same time, no. Now, this is not a slight against Doug Jones, because I think he does have a lot of charisma and a lot of personality that shows through in the work he's done in movies. 
I think if you used him as something Freddy became, that would be okay. But you you gotta have somebody who has the charisma and can pull off going to those dark places, but still maybe pull off a one-liner here and there that kind of throws you off guard. Yeah. I think Jackie Earl Haley in the 2010 remake did well with what he was given, had it been a better script and maybe a more thought-out movie. We would be putting him up there in the conversation with Robert Englund as, yeah, these these two guys portrayed Freddy so well. As it stands, people shit on him, and I think it's just the fact he got a poor movie to do. And I know I'm talking remake, I said we wouldn't, but... Do you have a director you think could pull off? I'm just asking general questions here. Don't give me that look. Holy shit. You didn't tell me there was going to be math involved. There... (laughs) (laughs) The sums of an isosceles triangle equals... (laughs) I'm kidding. I don't even... I don't even know what the joke was. There was a joke from The Simpsons. I don't even know who directed... I think it's Wes Craven, right? Wes Craven, okay. yes. You are correct. Great. Okay. He, him. I picked him. Well, he's... He's my favorite. There you go. Okay. He is dead now, so he couldn't direct a new version. <laughs> I'm going to throw out one, and probably lots of people will be like, oh, of course. What would you think of a Nightmare on Elm Street movie done by Guillermo del Toro? I think everything should be done by Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> so, Yes. <laughs> You'd be like, Cinderella is going to be done by Guillermo del Toro, and I'd be like, yeah, I'm down. Yeah, just have del Toro remake all the all the fairy tales. Yeah. Because they'll be more in line with what the actual stories were than what Disney did. <laughs> Even though Disney shit was dark back in the day, and I think people forget that. Anyway. I don't know. I think that, or I think if you threw it to maybe... Maybe the guys who are currently working on the Scream stuff, I believe it's Radio Silence. Because I saw the most recent Scream film, not the most recent, the one from last year, Scream 5. I actually really enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. So maybe those guys maybe throwing it to like A24, even though everyone will be like, well, A24 is elevated horror. Stop. Stop. Horror's horror. Okay. I just lay that out right there. So like you, I don't really know who who could direct. I don't know who would be a good Freddy Krueger. You might have to pull someone who's almost an unknown to do it. Or someone who you would never believe. Maybe you go outside the box casting, kind of like what Nolan did with casting Heath Ledger as the Joker in The Dark Knight. Someone you would never, ever expect to portray a role like that. Find somebody who's done, I don't know, done mostly comedies or something, or some romantic comedy guy, and give him a chance. Maybe he'll be the next great Freddy Krueger. I don't know. I don't know. Post Malone. Make Post Malone Freddy Krueger. <laughs> anyway, Leanne, what are your final thoughts on the original Nightmare on Elm Street? I loved it. You loved it's it? one of my favorites. Okay. So with that, I think we're going to wrap that up here on our first one. You know where to find us, all of your podcatchers, Apple, Google, Spotify. You can find us on YouTube. If you want to hit us up on social media, go on over to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We are all over there. Look for Skewered Universe Podcast or look for 
skewered underscore you. That is our Twitter. You hit us up there. You can see when we post our shows, certain things we're talking about. Go on over to patreon.com slash skewered universe podcast. Support the show. Get your hands on transmissions episodes. And remember, check out the link in the show notes. We're a Podbean affiliate. If you want to start a podcast, use that link. Get a month for free with a paid premium plan. And until next time, Leanne, do you have anything else? Suck a dick. Keep enjoying that universe that's just a bit skewered.